Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Today's episode is presented by Sweat Connected. Sweat Connected is a transformative way to work out. Sweat Connected has a mission to help you feel your best. Each expert instructor brings their signature method directly to you. Wherever you are in the world, via Zoom. When you take a connected class, you are able to interact with your instructor and other participants in class, just like you would in a live studio experience. Whether you have been a group fitness participant for years or newer, you will feel at home with Sweat Connected. Sweat Connected is exclusively offering our listeners 15% off the first class by going to sweatconnected.com and using the code POD. That's code POD. P-O-D at sweatconnected.com for 15% for 50% off your class. Sweat Connected for all levels, all ages, all sizes, and all humans. Hey guys, this is Eric and Jessica Carrier, the hosts of the Prairieland Paranormal Podcast. If you're looking for a show that explores all things paranormal with dramatic storytelling, historical research, relevant science, and witness accounts, check out our show online at www.prairielandparanormalpodcast.com or through your favorite podcast player. Welcome to Monster Legend Podcast. And this week, we are talking about the Northwest Territories. Northwest Territories is a region of northern and northwestern Canada, encompassing a vast area of forests and tundra. Throughout the most of the 20th century, the territories constitute more than one third of the area of Canada and reached almost from the eastern to the western extremities of the country. Across the river of North America continent. The region in 1999 of the, of the, of the territory of Nunavut on the, of the eastern portion of the Northwest Territories reduced the area of the latter by more than half. The Northwest Territories are bordered by Nunavut to the east, province of Saskatchewan, Alberta, and British Columbia to the south, and Yukon to the west. In the north, the territories extend far above the Arctic Circle to incorporate numerous islands, the largest of which are banked in Prince Patrick. Uh, the largest of uh, several islands also are divided between the territories and Nunavut, notably Victoria and Melville. And Melville. Yellowknife is the capital and largest city. The area is 519,000. 735 square miles or 1,346,106 square kilometers. The population in 2016 was 41,786. In 2019, estimated at 44,826. Uh, two main types of landscape blend into one another along the Timberland, which runs southward 
southeastward from near the McKinsey River Delta on the Arctic Ocean to northwestern Manitoba. This is west of and roughly parallel to the border with Nunavut. Southwest of this line lies the northern, northernmost part of the Canadian boreal forest, extending westward to the mountain ranges that border Yukon, north and east of relatively uh, barren grounds of the Arctic, reaches a flat, often poorly drained lowlands underlain by rock more than 1 billion years old in the east and more varied terrain towards the west. Within each of these two regions, surface vegetation and animal life is supports vary with soil and climatic conditions. The McKinsey Rivers, I mean McKinsey Mountains in the west and southwest contains the highest and most rugged relief in the territory. Elevations reach 9,098 feet or 2,773 meters at named peak in the southwest near Mount Sir James Brian McBrien and Salt, 9,602 feet or 2,762 meters. The most favorable conditions are found in the McKinsey lowlands in the west central portion of the territories where forests of black and white spruce mixed with sinuous species extended north to the McKenzie Delta. Only about 70 frost-free days the growing season for arbutus plants is short. While it lasts, however, wildflowers and grasses flourish, and roots and cereal crops can be cultivated. Many species of valuable fur-bearing animals are found in the area, notably muskrat and beaver. Moose, wolves, black and grizzly bears, and mountain sheep and goats are also native. Although the climate of the McKinsey lowlands is milder than most of the remainder of the territories, it is still cool enough to limit navigation on the McKinsey River system to about four months a year and to cause a permanently frozen subsoil or permafrost, except in a small area south of Great Slave Lake. Permafrost creates serious construction problems, especially where the subsoil is an unstable mixture of fine silt and water. Scroll down. Scroll down. Uh, north and east of Kinsey Lowlands and the tree line, terrain changes to that of an ancient and rocky pre Precambrian mass known as the Canadian Shield, the western edge of which is straddled by the two largest lakes in the territories Great Bear Lake, which is 12,096 square miles or 31,328 square kilometers. And Great Slave Lake, which is 11,030 square miles or 20,568 square kilometers. The Arctic islands to the north comprise the remnants of mountains, formed several, some 300 to 400 million years ago. Three tree growth becomes sparse and stunted and eventually disappears to be replaced by the light but tough vegetation of the Arctic tundra. These so called barren lands, the soils where they exist at all on the heavily um, glass-laden surface are usually sandy and thin. Mosses, lichens, and many small hardy flowering plants survive in these conditions. On um, support a variety of animal life ranging from small burning animal, mammals and the predator, the arctic fox, to the large caribou, and mux ox. The mux ox was in danger of becoming extinct until the Canadian government, but it in under protection in the early 20th century, and several subspecies of caribou are now at risk. Dills, warriors, and polar bears are prevalent along the coast. Bird life is plentiful in summer, with some species, notably um, tarbrigans and ravens, remaining all winter. Mosquitoes and other insects abound during the summers. Yeah, I heard that mosquitoes are like really bad in the north. The climate in the McKinsey lowlands is relatively mild with warm and dry summers, during which average temperatures July of July of about 60 degrees Fahrenheit or 16 degrees Celsius are recorded at most of the elements along the McKinsey River. The winters are long and cold. The average temperature in January of negative 16 degrees Fahrenheit or negative 26 degrees Celsius. 
at Yellow River on the northern shore of Great Slave Lake, north and east of Emberlin, Arctic climate prevails. Annual precipitation is light, and although average winter temperatures are similar to those in the subarctic regions to the west, temperatures do not rise above an average of 50 degrees Fahrenheit or 10 degrees Celsius even in July. Uh, American Indians are First Nations to make up more than one-third of the territorial population, including Dene and the Metis. Concentrated in the McKenzie Valley area, the Dene belong to the several tribes, all part of the Basque language family. Tribal or organization was never strong among the Dene. The small bands led by individuals chosen for their skills in the hunt were the, the effective social unit. This arrangement was easily molded to the needs of the fur trade when it reached the McKinsey area in the 18th century. Thereafter, the exchange of furs was for imported goods became the basis of any economy. Government treaties were made with the groups living south of Great Slave Lake in 1899 and with those living farther north only in 1921. No reservations were established, but a substantial number of small indigenous elements have the same statues status as reservations elsewhere. The decline of the fur trade in the 20th century left many Denny unemployed. The Medes, people of mixed Indian and European ancestry, were granted legal recognition as a native group by a Canadian government in 2003. Costing about one tenth of the population, the Inuit, Aboriginal Arctic people of Canada, called Eskimo in the United States, are found mainly in the northern coastal portions of territories. They are distinct from the Denny in language and culture and generally live apart from them. The vast majority of Kenyan Inuit are found in Nunavut. The remainder of the people in the territories are mainly of European descent. Most live in this more economically advanced Fort Smith region, where they find employment in mining, transportation, public service. Most of this population has also been in Transit. The Aboriginal peoples of territories once led nomadic lives. The Inuit, in particular, survived by adapting to the harsh natural environment. But this balance was disturbed when Europeans established permanent settlements and introduced firearms, resulting in the drastic depletion of the barren ground caribou, an important food source. Having to introduce domestic reindeer and other domestic animals has not been successful. Most Aboriginal people now live in towns and small settlements. Although hunting and fishing continue to provide some food, these settlements rely on imported food, fuel, and other necessities. The territories are among the most sparsely populated and habitable regions of the world. Nearly all the population lies in small settlements along the Mackenzie River. With small rivers, small numbers along the Arctic coastline of mainland and northern islands. In addition to Yellowknife, the main towns are Hay River, Fort Smith, and Inuvik. All are in the McKinsey area. In the late 20th and early 21st centuries, the territories has have much lower rates of international immigration than the Canadian provinces. They also tended to lose more residents to interpersonal migration than they gained. Economy of territories depends on the exploitation of natural resources. However, high production costs and transportational problems inhibit the development of many of the territories. Mineral resources, including the petroleum and natural gas fields that exist in the Western Arctic coastal regions, service. Uh, services play a specific role in the economy, but manufacturing is negligible. Because royalties and other revenues from natural resources used in territories are collected by the federal government, the Territorial Commission Administration relies on funds transferred to it from the federal authority for most of its revenues. A government assistance in the development of major resources has been provided mainly in the form of roads, electric power facilities, mapping, and geological services. Government agencies produce and distribute electric power through the territories and provide certain transportation services. Oh. 
Although there are areas of arable lands in the southern part of Mackenzie Valley, farming is not profitable. Some field crops are grown for local use, but most foodstuffs must be imported, greatly increasing their price. The Fort Smith region has most of Cantor's approximately 130,000 square miles or 334 kilometers of forested land. Even there, large sands of marketable timbers are not printable. Several sawmills process their timber only for local use. Trapping continues to provide income for some of the Aboriginal population. Muskrat, beaver, martin, mink, and lynx are the most important furs taken in the Mackenzie area. While Arctic fox remains the principal fur in the Arctic regions, fishing and hunting of sea animals also provide some employment. Like fish, like trout, pickerel, and northern pike are fished commercially on Great Slave Lake and some smaller lakes. Seals and some of the small whales are hunted for food, and some seal skins are marketed commercially. Mining has been a principal non-renewable resource industry of territories. Gold has been mined at Yellowknife on the North Shore at Great Lakes, Great Save Lake since the late 1930s. Radioactive ores were mined at Port Meridium on Great Bear Lake in the 1930s, initially to produce radium later during World War II, and afterward uranium was mined. Large-scale lead and zinc mining was carried on at Pine Point from the late 1960s until the 1980s, when the ore uh, became depleted. Smaller metal mining projects have been carried out as well as scattered sites. Few in the high Arctic regions, silver, copper, tungsten, and communion are among the minerals that have been produced. Diamonds were first discovered at, at Lake de Gosse, northeast of Great Slave Lake in 1991, sending off a personal boom that led to the discovery of several other commercially significant diamond bearing properties. First commercial production of diamonds began in 1998. Petroleum fuels for use in territories are obtained from refineries located in Norman Wells and Pointed Mountain Fields. The McKinsey Delta and Benefit Sea are also potential oil and gas reserves. Gasoline and diesel fuel are important parts important for both transportation and for electric power generation. Large-scale hydroelectric power development has not been feasible, but a number of small sites have been developed to supply power to local industries and communities. Although mining is the dominant industry in the territories, services constitute about a part of the economy. At the beginning of the 21st century, about half of the labor force was employed in various service industries. Another fifth of the labor force worked in public administration. Tourism is an important portion of the service sector, uh, service sector, adventure tours, driving tours, sports fishing, hunting, and such natural phenomena the, as the Aurora Barras and long summer days attract visitors from other parts of Canada, Japan, and the United States. Nearly all passengers and much freight traffic is carried by air services. Flights like Yellowknife and other major settlements along the McKinsey Valley and the Mittenhall Alta. Service transportation for heavy freight is mainly by water. The waterway is supplement in the southern part of the Fort Smith region by the McKinsey Highway and the railway connecting Hay River to the Trans Canada Rail System in Alberta. A highway that runs from Fort Simpson links the south. Southern McKinsey Valley to the Alaska Highway in Yukon. Also, the North McKinsey Delta is connected to the Austin Yukon by the Dempster Highway. Hey guys, this is Heather and Kristen, the hosts of Sinister Sweethearts podcast, and we want to share with you a little bit about our show. If you're looking for fun banter between old college sweetmates about all things paranormal, sinister, weird, and generally creepy, Check out our podcast available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast player. <clears throat> uh, tractor trains and other overland vehicles using temporary winter roadways carry freight into the remote areas. Snowmobiles are used for light winter travel. 
Ultimate constitutional responsibility for government and the territories rests with the federal government at the wall. But most provisional responsibilities have been delegated to a territorial administration in the old night. The administration consists of a commissioner who is appointed by the federal government and the legislative assembly whose members are directly elected to four-year terms. The assembly reflects the ethnic mix of the territorial population. There is no system of political parties. The decision-making in the assembly is by consensus by majority vote. Member of assemblies choose a speaker, a government leader known locally as the premier, and executive council or cabinet. His members are appointed to various ministerial portfolios by the government leader. Ordinary members not elected to executive council constitute an unofficial opposition. Executive council is responsible for the overall direction of government, policy, and territories, and manages the legislative agenda of the territorial administration. All legislation is technically subject to the asset of the commissioner. The commissioner's role is mainly ceremonial. The territories are represented by one elected ten member in the Canadian House of Commons since and since 1999 by one appointed member in the Canadian Senate. Justice is dispensed by a territorial court system, police magistrate, and several justices of the peace. Law enforcement is carried out by the local Canadian Mounted Police. The federal government administers the territorial territories, natural resources through part of Indian and Northern Affairs Canada. Uh, missionaries provide nearly all the education and health care available in territories until the 1950s. Since then, both have been mainly government responsibilities. The Territorial Department of Education culture and employment provides elementary and secondary schooling, and a number of post-secondary programs and courses offered by community college systems at several centers throughout the territory. Since the 1970s, local control of education has been strengthened through the development of elected local and regional administrative bodies. Many Aboriginal elements have been provided with schools under federally sponsored programs and at improving access to elementary and secondary education for Aboriginal children. That's cool. The territorial government also gives financial assistance to many students who pursue post-secondary education, either inside or outside the territories. Healthcare is provided through comprehensive territorial hospital and medical service insurance plans. Acts. Uh, Territorial Acts Council established in, eight, in 1985 advises the Territorial Minister of Education, Culture, and Employment on policies regarding the arts. It, is also recommend, it also recommends financial awards for various arts projects. The Prince of Wales Northern Heritage Center in Yellowknife is dedicated to preserving the culture and heritage of the people and of territories. In addition to providing many services and programs throughout the territories, the center houses territorial museum and archives. Uh, the center's permanent collection of works of art, agricultural artifacts, and natural specimens have become an important terrorist attraction. Amateur sports are promoted by Sports Sport North, a federal federational territorial sports organization. Athletes from the Northwest Territories also regularly participate in the Biennial Arctic Winter Games, in which athletes from northern regions around the world compete in a variety of modern and traditional games and sports. Uh, modern form of transportation and, and communication have been done much to break down the isolation of life in the North and commentary North American public. Popular culture is evident in most communities. Radio, satellite, television, and internet have been made a wide range of entertainment and educational material available in even the most remote settlements. Radio stations relay programs throughout the territories. Most of the large settlements have their own weekly newspapers. They even have local television stations that originate programs for distribution in territories. Public funding supports local programming to help revitalize the linguistic and cultural heritage of the NA. Oh, pretty cool place. Pretty lots of gone. Vikings probably visited parts of the Kenyan Arctic during the Middle Ages. 
there are no records of exploration uh, until a voyage in 1576 with English mariner Martin Frostbite in search of the Northwest Passage to the Orient. Expeditions in the 17th century also failed to find the route, but they added the knowledge of the Arctic regions. Interest in finding the route waned in the 18th century, but whaling ships became commonplace in Arctic waters. First recorded exploration of the mainland was by Samuel Hearn, who in 1770 to 1772 journeyed from the northwest coast of Hudson Bay to the mouth of Coppermine River on the northern coast. Other inland explorations were mainly the work of Montreal based fur traders. In 1789, Alexander Mackenzie, a Northwest company, traveled down the river to bears his name to reach the Arctic Ocean. In the 19th century, there was a neural interest in the fine Northwest Passage. Sir John Franklin and others explored much of Mackenzie District, known largely now larger the regions of Smart Fort Smith and Inuvik Northwest Territories in Kitakmunt and Nunavut, and in parts of the northern coastline during the 1820s. Work that Thomas Simpson continued in 1838-1839. Searchers for the Lost Franklin Expedition of 1845-1848 explored and mapped out other parts of the Eastern Arctic in the following decade. Later, a series of expeditions attempted to reach the North Pole, which the exploits continued until the 20th century, but, when we were, they were, but then were overshadowed by more practical activities directed at, at, at identifying the resources potentials of the North. Settlements were first established to serve the whaling fleets and fur traders. Missionaries became active in the McKinsey Valley in 1852 in the eastern Arctic towards the end of the century. No residents administrative Authorities were established within the present limits of the North Territories until the 20th century. Uh, responsibilities for the mainland territories that drained into Hudson Bay, known as Rupert's Land, was vested in the Hudson Bay Company, the remaining part of the mainland, the Northwestern Territory, under nominal British rule until 1870, at which time both it and Rupert's Land were ceded to Canada. 1880, the Arctic Island by British also were placed under Canadian jurisdiction. Separation of the Yukon Territory, now Yukon, creation of the new provinces, and enlargement of other provinces reduced the Northwest Territories to its pre-1999 limits by 1912. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police were made responsible for taking law and order and providing whatever governmental administration required in the area. Fur traders, missionaries, and the police directed the life of the Northwest Territories until the 1920s. The recovery of oil near Fort Norman on the Kitty River prompted the Canadian government to establish a territorial administration for the area. Mining replaced the fur trade as the most important industry in the Kitty District in the 1930s. You know, because the stuff ran out, as you know, right about earlier. And he's just. World War II brought much government finance construction activities to territories. In the southern Mackenzie area, the canal pipeline linking the oil fields at Norman Wells to a refinery at Whitehorse, Yukon. Extraction of several large airfields in the eastern Arctic did much to open the Canadian north to further exploration and development. After the war, construction of the Mackenzie Highway to Great Slave Lake, and the building of this distant early warning radar network, the DEWL. CW line continued to pro this process. Meanwhile, a great expansion of government sponsored health, education, and welfare services transformed living and social conditions throughout the North. Pace of development slowed in the 1970s, in part because of growing opposition on the part of Aboriginal groups, commercial exploitation of resources in the area. An inquiry conducted by Thomas R. Berger. Canadian Supreme Court um, justice into a proposed Easy Valley natural gas pipeline led to increased public concern over environmental issues in the region and recognition of Aboriginal land claims and other rights. Subsequent litigations involving Aboriginal groups and the federal and territorial governments led to a number of new agreements. 
procedures that address those concerns and procedures that, that address those concerns. Most normal change was embodied in the non Nunavut Act, ratified in 1993. That act created territory on Nunavut in the east, eastern portion of the northwest western territories. Uh, after a traditional period, Nunavut came to being on April 1st, 1999. In the early 21st centuries, natural resources nation continued to influence, of course, of the economic development in the Northwest Territories. Energy and diamond mining industries playing prominent roles at the same time. Environmental issues remained important, and politics made efforts to resolve Aboriginal land claims and related issues of Aboriginal self-government. The territorial government also increased its effort to uh, to resolve Aboriginal land claims and related issues of Aboriginal self-government. The territorial government also increases efforts to deal with it, such social problems at high rates of suicide and substance abuse, especially among the young. By Kenneth John Reed. Thank you, Ken, for writing uh, that. All right. Alright, time for some cryptid! What's the history and colony line for geography of Northwest Territories of Canada? What's up? Okay, um. Uh. Up is or Man in the Bush. It's a cryptozoological hominid reported in the National Park Reserve near Nani Boot, Northwest Territories, Canada. April and June 1964 by John Baptist. Several men and a boy named Jerry. Uh, several DNA from Portland and Lillard were trapping a river early upon the creature in April 1964. It's described as Bigfoot like creature, but less ape and more designed draw like in resemblance. About five feet tall, also had long dark beard and wore no clothes. In June 1964, near Fort Simpson, around 9 p.m., a boy named Gary reported a similar creature. He had black hair on his head, upper body, and legs, and a black beard. So he pointed at the back. He also had a long brown beard that reached his waist, and wore ankle-high boots and moose-skin loincloth, possibly moose-skin boots, and had a stone club in his hand. These creatures have been reported for hundreds of years, and are said to have been have boot-like footprints and whistling calls. They were reported from the Northwest Territories to Yukon to the Kenai Peninsula in Alaska. In Northwest Territory? Sounds like a caveman. Oh, uh, we're in. Next up, Hila. Uh, similar to the Ontario White Wolf, and often considered to be the same animal, the Wahila or Sable Wolf is a large wolf like creature said to uh, to inhabit Alaska and Northwest Territories. It is larger and most heavily and more heavily built than normal wolves, with a wide head and personally larger feet, and with a long pure white fur. It will the animal's hind legs are said to be shorter than the front legs. Oh, according uh, to the front legs, and tracks show wildly spaced toes. When it is described it as being about 3.5 feet to 4 feet at the shoulder, wildly are never seen in packs, so they are presumably solitary. Many of legends describe the Waihili as an evil spirit with supernatural powers and describe it as a killing as killing people and removing their heads. It has been theorized that the Waihili is an amphibian uh, prehistoric carnivore of the Messine and Altini Direwolf, a large wolf of the Pleistocene, a prehistoric hyena, or a completely new species of hyena. The Wahili is native to the Lahini or Hellas Valley, as it is known for ripping people's heads off. It is mostly in Native American legends, but it was 
Played by the American mechanic Frank Grays, who described it as a wolf on steroids, most likely because of its build and size. In 2018, original eyewitness Graves identified the animal he saw as a Kinsey timber wolf, Canis lupus, Dallas, a known gray wolf subspecies inhabiting Canada. Documentary interview with a cryptid hunter. While he later appears in the anime cartoon The Secret Saturdays, it also appears in the movie game The Secret Saturdays Beast of the Fifth Sun, and on a reality show The Wiley is Haunted on Alaska Monsters. So we got a damn. Oh, this is face from Game of Thrones. Shadow? Hello, everyone. This is Brandon, the host of the Parunity Podcast, wanting to take a second to tell you about our show. The Parunity Podcast is your top choice for closing the distance between the paranormal groups. From ghosts to cryptids to ufology, we will discuss it all. The Parunity Podcast is aimed at promoting positivity and collaboration between investigators and is geared specifically for those in the field. But if you're not, you'll still get a kick out of the show as well, because you'll be able to think of it like Ghost Hunters Talking Shop. Tune in and join myself and all of our amazing guests as we entertain you with sensational stories of fantastic places, events, tips for your investigations, and so much more. And remember, you can find the Parunity Podcast on your favorite podcast directory and part of the Paranormality Radio Network. The Auckland. In Inuit mythology, Auckland, pronounced Auckland or Auckland, is a Auckland. I don't know. It's like a same word, but one starts with a, another starts with so, uh, It's a spirit. It's a k h l u t. Uh, it's a spirit that takes the form of both a wolf and an orca. It is a vicious, dangerous beast. Its tracks can be recognized because there are both tracks that lead to and from the ocean. Often, dogs seen walking. To the ocean and or into it are considered evil. Little is known of the spirit other than that it shapes from an orca to a wolf when hungry. Not many myths relate to this creature. A great number of myths tell a creature's their shape. It is normally portrayed as a mix of an orca and a wolf. It has been said that, and it, it has been said that this is a dangerous creature, but most of the Inuit do not know what was attacking them while trying to fish out the Arctic Sea. The only thing they can think of was the wolf tracks coming out of the water. The is very vicious and even attacks you if you were falling asleep near the edge. Sometimes it goes as far as the Inuit camp to snatch them up. It has a furious appetite and would eat anything that's close by. There are many stories of how the Akulit comes to be, to be, but this legend is the most popular. It's about a man who is obsessed with the sea and wants to eat with it all the time. After coming off the shore, he turns to the village, but people don't recognize him because he has become too obsessed with the ocean and he gets banned from the village. While, of, while on his own, he finds packs of wolves and because he is so hungry, like a wolf for revenge, he becomes one of them. One day, his affection for ocean becomes so insane that he jumps into the ocean to be with it. He then transforms into an orca. Thus, he now swims as an orca, being at ease, but whenever he's hungry for revenge, is once again awoken, comes to land, and transforms into a wolf. Wolves can swim in icy water. This was this will be an explanation as to why there are always footprints leading out of the water. There are also the explanation of a chunk of ice the wolf was coming from going to simply broke off, either with the wolf still on it or with the wolf already having left but a few meters away. The second solution is somewhat more mysterious as to some kind of myth. It says that sometimes when Aldrich Arctic wolves are being rejected by a pack, they would commit suicide by jumping in the cold icy water and drown themselves. This is rather odd, however, because several instincts should prevent them from doing that because it is a very strong animals. Uh Initially, another name for an orca 
is a sea wolf, stemming from a time when it was believed that ocean and land shared variants of the same animals, hence the well-known seahorse and sea cow, as well as lesser known creatures such as the monkfish and sea bees. Possible explanations are descendant of Ambulus large wolf or descendant of Pancake. The Oculus appears in the mobile smartphone app game Disco Zoo, where it fills the Ice Age exhibits. Mythical creatures spot randomly, pe randomly people walking in the fields will call them walking orcas or orca dogs or puppy whales. In the movie Sharktopus vs. Werewolf, Werewolf has been Linus to Oculus. In the Sonic the Hedgehog, Hedgehog comic series, a character named Oculus worked as one of Dr. Edmund's generals. Wolf. Wolf. Uh, hmm. uh, Inuit mythological creatures and element beings. Stories told by Inuit elders are full of fantastic creatures, spirits, and strange beings. Here are some examples of a few characters from our rich northern mythology. Uh, so you see details from the regions, the region in the north. If you want to learn more about these mental creatures, talk to elders in your community. Several. The Terra Terrak suit Terra uh, Terrak suit are known as the Shadow People. They live in a world like our own. The world, however, is beyond our senses. They are almost never seen when sometimes locations are right. The terror suit can be heard. Have you ever heard the sounds of footsteps or the sound of talking or laughing in the distance, but not seeing the one around? Maybe it was a terror suit. Sometimes these shy beings are noticed or people sense their presence. When this happens, their suits seem to be disappear to the ground and vanish. Stories tell us that some Inuit have crossed over to this shadow world, but you have ever returned to tell us what it's like. It's to, to, if the Terra suit invite you to, you to cross over to the world for a visit, would you go? Uh, the Lidrat. The Lidrat are the shapeshifters. These land spirits are elusive and can transform into any Arctic animal to disguise themselves. Most often, they take the shape of a raven bear, wolf, or even a human. The only part of the Inuit cannot disguise are their eyes. In all of its forms, both human and animals, their eyes are always red. These elusive creatures are portrayed as evil and malicious in many stories. These stories are that those that lie and wait for lone travelers changing shape to fool and get close to them. Some elders argue that these land spirits are not inherently evil, but rather misunderstood. Elders believe that the Lidrat often appear to bring messages to travelers. One elder warned that these spirits are surrounded by mirages. When the mountain islands on the horizon look bigger or closer, that they really are the Lidrat might be near. Although many interpretations of the Lidrat exist, one thing is certain after an encounter with the Lidrat. People tend to experience memory loss and quickly forget the details of what happened. If you ever encounter the Lidrat, remember to talk to as many people as possible before your memory begins to fail and completely forget the experience. The Kukulakatak or Aganagunag is a monstrous three-fingered claw that can emerge from any surface to grab children who are stealing. This monstrous appendage will hold the little thief until someone comes and witnesses the crime. Though a large claw hand seems frightening and evil, Kothla is only trying to keep children honest and respectful. If children do not learn to respect the property of others, then maybe a Kothla will teach them to do as so when one else is around. The Maha, or Tickler. The Maha is a mechanical. A neonatal demon that is said to have terrorized parts of the Arctic long ago. This creature is a thin, sinewy being, ice blue in color and cold to the touch. 
Manoa's eyes are white and piercing. They peer through the long, stringy hair that hangs over its face. Demon, it, this demon is extremely strong. It's also barefooted and almost naked. Maha is a stealthy creature that creeps up. You know what? When it gets close enough, Manoa delights in, its, in tickling its victims to deal, to deal in to death with his sharp, vicious nail attached to his long, bony finger. The only warning a victim can even receive is the giggles of Simon and Maha cannot hang as it approaches. Maha's unfortunate victims face an ongoing death of screams and laughter as they are tickled and tickled to the breath leaves their bodies. Many elders have committed, commented on the horribly twisted smiles left on the face of Maha victims. Although this demon is vicious and evil, Maha is easily fooled. Most of the stories told about Maha and with the be being deceived. Usually, Maha is tricked to learning over, over a water hole to take a drink and is pushed into the ocean to open water and swept away by currents. So, if Maha ever comes to you alone, as active you have asked it to have one last drink with you by the water hole so you can push it in. Aqualopulit. There are many creatures of the old Arctic waters that are also described as having scaly and bumpy skin, not unlike a uh, sculpin. It is said that these creatures that these ugly creatures reek of sulfur. Uh, the Qualopic are pulit are child snatchers. No one really knows that why these creatures love to take children. Perhaps they they take children because they are lonely in the company. Like the company, or maybe they like altruism and taste. Many stories of Qualipic tell them wearing elder duck clothing with large pouches on their backs to carry children in. Qualipic hide in the ocean, waiting for children to play, play alone on the beach or near the breaking ice. Usually, the Qualipic jump out of the water and grab children without any warning. Sometimes, however, you can hear them knocking under the ice. Some elders have said that if the ocean comes wavy or steam begins to rise from the water, a qualipic might be hiding under the sea. One thing is certain whether a qualipic is hiding from the water, and the water or not, it's never safe to play alone on the beach or near the broken panes of ice of sea ice. Uh the tunit, these are people that live, who lived in the north. Before the Inuit, these beings uh, spoke a simple language, sometimes referred to as Kutak or Baby Talk. The Tunut were, were a peaceful people who mind their own business. If left alone, artifacts of the Tunut can be found all over the north. The Tunut were the same height as river people, however, they were thick boned and extremely strong. Angor and the Tunut were a powerful enemy. If you ever come across a strong, thick body person dressed in skins and using the tools of our ancestors, it might be one of Tunit. This being begins to speak answer slowly and don't use big words. are the northern giants. Very little is known about these huge creatures. Are really seen. Probably, I'm sorry, I can't pronounce these very well. Um, are really seen and almost never talked about by elders. Seems that the males are larger and less common than the females. Very little is known of the males. Perhaps this because no one has ever survived to talk about them. Uh, female inkosudrut seem to be more common. The these inchipa find humans amusing and will catch them to use as playthings. Some elders warn that females will grab people and carry them away in their amulet. You ever seen an incomplete crouch down and remain very still? Your best chance to escape is to avoid. So, uh, I think the takeover is pretty crazy. And, uh, uh, yeah, that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening, and 
I'll see you next week. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Maybe. Uh. Yeah. I'm going. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Monster Legend Podcast. Hope you were able to find us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We also have our own website at monsterlegendpodcast.com. If you'll be so kind to please leave a review and subscribe and let me know what I can do to make this show better for you. If you have any stories you'd like to submit or you'd like to be a guest, send me an email or a DM. But I hope you do one thing that's really important and have a great day. Thank you. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.